From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Joining us, District 3 Seattle City Councilwoman Shama Sawant. And, of course, the big question is the new Amazon tax you've proposed. And I I, th- I think you're on record as saying it's not personal, but the amount to be uh, collected has gone up from, I think, $47 million, which was your original head tax proposal, the one that the, the council finally uh, took back. It's now gone up to $200 million. So what would the money be for? Well, as we know, the city of Seattle and also the surrounding region is in the throes of an unprecedented affordable housing shortage and homelessness crisis, which is the worst per capita of any city around the nation. And that $47 million figure is not something I came up with. I I and the movement and I were fighting for far bigger than that. In fact, we were fighting for uh, over $200 million. But be, and, and I think this is a very important question you're asking because it comes down to what is the strategy we need in order to actually win a tax on big business, or in other words, what I'm calling the Amazon tax. In 2018, unfortunately, many of the uh, centrist politicians and some of the movement leaders, they decided, you know what, we, the only way to do this is not to oppose big business, but to bring them to the table, bring them along, and so on and so forth. And so that original number of over $200 got watered down over and over and over and over again, ultimately coming down to $47 million. But, the, but you remember how that number, $47 million, was sold to us. It was sold to us by the mayor, Mayor Durkin, and some of these council members saying, look, it's lower than what the movement wanted, but it has the approval of the Amazon Corporation as well. Everybody has agreed with us. And then less than a month later, they had repealed it anyway. And right after Amazon supposedly agreed to uh, the $47 million figure, they went and filed a referendum to undermine the city council's vote, which is why uh, the city council ended up repealing it. So I think this is really a question of strategy. And it's a question of needs. So we are, our starting point has to be what does our city need? The regional uh, task force of homelessness for King County has said that at a very conservative estimate, in order to address the affordability needs of today, which means homelessness plus people who are paying too much in rent, and chances are if you're listening to this, you're paying too much in rent, then we need at least $400 million a year. So in reality, we should be demanding 400 to 500 million dollars, and I think right now the movement is saying 200 to 300 million dollars. But I think that is proceeding from the needs of the city. And as far as the strategy is concerned, I think we tried out the strategy of uh, trying to bring big business along. It didn't work. In fact, it royally backfired. And then we saw them emboldened uh, even further, and they went after our city's democracy last year. Fortunately, we defeated them in that, but this time we need a fighting strategy that unites working people against big business. So you're referring to Amazon's campaign to to get you defeated by uh, contributing one and a half million dollars to uh, the uh, the business pack. So I'm referring to Amazon, but I'm also referring to big business as a whole. Keep in mind the. Uh, the corporate PAC money was not just Amazon. It was a whole number of big corporations and billionaires. So my understanding was that what really uh, hurt the the uh, push for your head tax last time was, that the, was when Amazon threatened to either suspend or stop construction downtown, construction unions came out against you. Why, why wouldn't that happen this time as well? Well, you know, uh, as we said the last time as well, 
we are really appealing to our sisters and brothers in the construction trades and uh, to understand that the bosses are not on your side. But look, if you talk to ordinary construction workers and, you know, the same day that the leaders of the construction trades were saying Amazon is our friend and all that stuff, ordinary rank-and-file construction workers were part of our movement and speaking against them. And what they will tell you, and if you can talk to any of the workers who build these shiny new buildings in Seattle downtown, and they will tell you that, look, I work hard every day. I build these buildings for these corporate developers, and then I'm having to go home, which is Renton, Des Moines, or Kent, or somewhere, uh, which means I have a long commute just to get to work. So in other words, the very construction workers who build these shiny new buildings can't afford to live in these buildings. So I think uh, the, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not being complacent. I think it's very clear that the movement needs to build itself much more powerfully than it did before, and it does, that does require that we build a broad unity in the grassroots, and that is why it's important for workers, no matter what you're doing, whether you're a construction worker or a barista or a tech worker, we're in this together because we share a vision of a city that is affordable for all of us. And last but not least, let's not forget that there is a 75% support among Seattle voters for a tax on large corporations to fund housing. So, you know, we're, 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 we'll be fighting a good fight. So are, are you saying the construction workers will be on your side this time? No, I'm not. I'm not I don't have a crystal ball. I'm just hmm. saying that I, I'm, I will be appealing and the movement will be appealing for workers of all kinds, no matter what work you do for us to be united. But at the same time, uh, I'm also, you know, it's also important for us to recognize that there may be people who lead uh, certain organizations, progressive organizations, who may make the wrong choices or bad choices. Our movement cannot be subservient to their bad choices. Our movement has to fight for what the needs of working people are, and we should not be apologetic about it. Now, do you know what form this tax will take? Uh, so I, I, as a city council member, I have already, like right after I won my election, actually, in, this, uh, in early December, I asked council staff, uh, the city council staff, to begin uh, building on the research that they had already done in 2018. So I've asked them to look at uh, how, you know, if we raised, say, 300 or uh, some other such figure, how much would the tax rate be if we tax the top 3% of corporations, large corporations, uh, what kind of uh, mechanism we should use, and they're, they're still doing research on that. But uh, in order to have a powerful movement, the movement has to be based in the grassroots, not among elected officials. So we, what we're proposing as a, as a Tax Amazon 2020 campaign is a two-pronged strategy. You know, so I will be bringing a legislation uh, soon, hopefully in a few weeks or at least in the next couple of months, uh, for discussion on the council, but we cannot let the movement be stymied if the council doesn't vote yes on a big business tax. We need the option of a ballot initiative as well. So uh, in order to have maximum input for ordinary people, we are, you know, we launched the Tax Amazon rally on the 13th, which, as you know, was a thundering support rally for uh, the idea of taxing big business to fund housing. Uh, but we are going to follow that up with what we're calling the Tax Amazon Action Conference on Saturday, January 25th at 10 a.m. at Washington Hall in the Central District. 
And I urge everybody who is listening to this, if you care about having an affordable city, if you're paying too much of your income in rent and you're a one rent increase away from being priced out of the city, then you should join us. We need your, we need your voice. And so uh, um, just to summarize, whatever choices we make in my legislation and in the ballot initiative will be based on the community input we get on the 25th. But is that what you're promising your supporters, that if they support you in this fight for a, an unspecified type of tax, their rent will go down? I'm not promising them anything uh, or something that's pie in the sky. What I'm letting them know is that uh, if we have a substantial uh, public revenue from progressive sources like taxing Amazon and other big businesses, then it will allow us to have the funds available to carry out a major expansion in social housing, which is publicly owned, permanently affordable apartments and housing that uh, will be available not only for those who are the most vulnerable and facing homelessness, but regular working people who may not be homeless, but who must be who might be hurting uh, when they pay their rent, and which, which I can guarantee you are most of your listeners. And so, uh, but in order to build that kind of affordable housing, social housing, we will need revenues. And the reason we're talking about this is precisely because, and this is the crux of the whole story, it's because the for-profit corporate housing market has failed us because it does not build apartments for affordability. The corporate for-profit market builds for profits for a few at the top, and which is why you see this perverse situation where even though Seattle has had an unprecedented construction boom where our city has been the construction crane capital of the country for four years running, yet during the same time that construction has boomed, we see rents skyrocketing and more and more people have been economically evicted out of the city. So we cannot hold our breath. In fact, I'll tell you the false promise that I refuse to make, which many politicians end up making, is this peddling, this you know, snake oil that let, just let the market build, and then one day, magically, the rents will come down. Such a thing has never happened, and I speak as an economist. For, for making housing affordable, we need publicly owned social housing. Yeah, well, it's true. I've heard from real estate people that some of those big high-rise luxury apartments are actually empty. They're being used as investments by people who... I uh, never intend to occupy them, but I guess they they feel owning one is safer than stashing your money in a bank. But still, e- I mean, the, you're you're totally right, and the vacancy rates are alarming in this city. You know, people are homeless. People are commuting from uh, you know uh, tens of miles away from other cities into Seattle for work. And as we speak, there are double digit vacancy rates throughout the city, and in some neighborhoods, there are very high vacancy rates. But the point I'm trying to make is that that the the history of uh, of socially built or government built housing isn't that good either. I mean, you end up. I think one of the more recent projects spent something like half a million dollars per unit. I mean, that's that's not sustainable no, that's, that's either. Not accurate. These, these numbers you're 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 reading out. They're they're not accurate. What is accurate is that wherever there has been social housing and rent control. You know, we, we need both policies together. That's why my office is fighting for both. Uh, but whichever city in the U.S. for whatever peri- period of time has had rent control and social housing, that has been, that policy combination has been a lifeline for working millions of working families for decades. So uh, I would urge everybody who's listening to this, if you are in need of affordable housing, do not buy into these lies from corporate real estate. In reality, 
social housing is a very good idea. And to the extent that we see public housing uh, that is not well maintained, that is one of, it's one of those, uh, it's, it's a bait and switch, you know. It's like, uh, I'll, t I'll give you another example. We, we see this happening in public schools throughout the country. The funding for public schools has been completely gutted across Democratic and Republican administrations, absolutely, from the, from the time of Reagan. But Clinton and Obama's administration also participated in this. So funding for public education has been absolutely and criminally gutted throughout the nation. And then the right wing and big business points to public schools and say, hey, look, public schools don't work. You know, that's the kind of bait and switch that has happened with public housing as well. Uh, it has been continually underfunded with austerity for ordinary people, whereas billionaires keep getting tax giveaways. And then we're told, oh, public housing doesn't work. Let's not buy into this bait and switch. We need affordable housing. Let's fearlessly fight for it. Okay, but, but again, you've just said that the history of public housing is that the funding for it gets cut. So what, what would make it different what, what, here? What would make, it's very simple, Dave. To, to, to the only solution and the one solution that does work against cutting funding is to not cut funding. In other okay. words, having a steady stream of public revenues to make sure that not only new social housing is built, but existing social housing is maintained. That is the plan that we have. And, and big and big and that we pay by big business. And big yes, business will just will sit still and just pay that without without uh, responding to it in any way, either by by moving their operations, let's say, to Bellevue, or uh, again suspending them altogether. Well, first of all, just to uh, just on your earlier question about you know how can we make sure that. Social housing is well-maintained. Well, make sure that, uh, that, is a, that there's a steady stream of revenues that creates not only construction jobs, but also maintenance and operations jobs, which is the plan we are putting forward, which is for construction, operations, and maintenance jobs to be created so that people also have unionized living wage job opportunities. And, uh, and, and for this reason, one thing that's important is in the ballot initiative and in the ordinance for the Amazon tax, we say no to any sunset clause. We do not want an end to the revenues because that's, mm -hmm. that's what will be, that's what will gut. So this would be a perpetual tax then. Once it's passed, you would not of put course. it like, you're not a seven year so period. There has, this been, there has been a perpetual, uh, not only disproportionate and criminally unequal tax, tax burden on ordinary people, on working people, on the poor, on small businesses, but not only that, but decades of just massive exploitation. So what we're talking about is a very small measure of justice in a very unjust system called capitalism. So I, don't, I, I do not accept any uh, false arguments that somehow this is, uh, this is an undue burden. If you look at the amount of money these billionaires have, this will be even a bigger tax, like $300 million will be uh, very, very small in terms of the income they have. And that, that, that should also, you know, that's a, that I should clarify, uh, you know, corporate media will attack this in different ways. But let me be crystal clear. The reason we are calling it the Amazon tax is to make it very clear to people, this is a tax on big corporations, not on small businesses, not on the workers or the employees of the corporations, and not on working people or homeowners or renters as a whole. Now, you asked the question about, you know, will big business move its operations? Look, we, you know, when, when big business makes those threats, we don't take them lightly because under capitalism, big corporations and billionaires have disproportionate clout 
and power and wealth to do, uh, you know, to do, do, do things that we don't have the power to do. So we don't take those threats lightly. But throughout history, including the $15 minimum wage example in Seattle, we have seen that the only response you can have to this kind of bullying and threats and extortions by billionaires like Jeff Bezos is not to back down. Because, look, the city council backed down to Jeff Bezos in 2018. And what happened? Did he stop there? No. Amazon and the Chamber of Commerce went to war against our city's democracy and attempted, which was nothing less than a hostile corporate takeover of City Hall last year. We overwhelmingly defeated them. When you back down to billionaires, it's like backing down to a schoolyard bully. What happens? He will come after you again. So the only way to deal with bullies is to stand up, unite, and fight back. And New York City has shown them. New York City, Jeff Bezos wanted a $3 billion uh, giveaway. The working people of New York, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, many other movement leaders said, hell no, we're, we're not giving the richest man in the world $3 billion. There's no, there's no way that's happening. And they forced Amazon to take a defeat, and then Amazon set up the jobs anyway. So this is how you win, not by backing down. So it sounds like you're going to make him regret what he did in the last election. Is that fair to say? Well, no one person can go up against a billionaire. I mean, that would be delusions of grandeur on my part. What, what, what I hope will happen is a movement of thousands of ordinary people from all the way from tech workers to construction workers to baristas to teachers to librarians and homeless neighbors, activists. I hope everybody comes together, uh, socialists, rank-and-file Democrats, and builds a powerful movement that teaches big business a lesson. Even the 50,000 Amazon workers, you think they would participate too? I have no doubt that many Amazon workers really? participate. Can I give you some evidence? In my, in, in my election, we had my opponent receiving... Maximum donations from Amazon uh, executives, you know, the two CEOs, yeah. and not from Jeff Bezos, but, you know, because he gave money to the PACs, and from corporate attorneys, all the executives of tech industry were on his side. Well, who was on my side? It was tech workers and uh, workers as a whole. And, in fact, the most common profession of my donors was tech workers. Tech workers were there at our tax Amazon launch rally, and many Tech workers, including Amazon workers, have come and told me, I work at Amazon, I work at Microsoft, and I strongly support this. So I have no doubt we can build that kind of unity, but we also should not take it for granted. It's very important that our movement reach out to workers of all backgrounds and make sure we get united. Well, if, if you have that much support from tech workers, why don't they form a union? They, they should, and I'm sure they're having those conversations. It's not easy to form a union. You know, Amazon is a notoriously union-busting corporation. So they're going to have to fight hard. But I'll tell you this, uh, because you brought it up, uh, building a movement like this will only help any efforts that are going on to unionize tech workers. So you think you could, you think that an Amazon union might also grow out of this? Uh, Why not? Because movements build on each other. And in fact, if we can win an Amazon tax this year, I have zero doubt in my mind that it will raise the confidence of workers in Seattle for all kinds of things, including unionizing. But I think it will go beyond that. It will be truly historic. It will inspire movements not only throughout the country but throughout the world because Amazon has a global footprint. Many of these corporations like Amazon have a global footprint. So whatever we can win here will provide an impetus nationally and internationally. And in fact, 
look at what what's already happened, right? When we won 15 here, cities and states throughout the country won it. In fact, it even went internationally. And when New York City won its victory against Amazon and Jeff Bezos, it inspired us. So we are, you know, we are now inspired by them. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's when workers win a victory anywhere, it inspires workers everywhere. And in fact, that is exactly what the billionaires are afraid of. They are afraid. They are angry. They are so livid. You know, people often ask me, why are these billionaires so angry? We're just asking for a small modicum of justice. Why would they, why would they deny us this? The reason they deny you is not only because they are loath to part with even one penny of all the exploited money that they have with them, but it's not just that. It's also because of the example it sets. You know, they don't want the contagion of working class confidence to spread from one city to another, but that is why, that is exactly what I want. That is what exactly our movement wants. Yeah. We want things to, victories to spread from one city to another. I can't think of two things that Jeff Bezos would hate more than a uh, higher taxes on his business and a union. So if he's listening to this and, and you've just struck terror into his heart and he wants to sit down and, and negotiate some sort of deal with you, uh, would you do it? Uh, Jeff Bezos and all the executives and members of the Chamber of Commerce know that my office is open to talking to them anytime. In fact, uh, Amazon reached out to me, a corporation, I mean, the executives reached out to me during the campaign and said, will you talk with us? And I said, yeah, I'm happy to, and I will bring uh, some community members with me, and I didn't hear back from them. So in other words, if they are looking for some sort of backroom private negotiation, they know. They should know by now. They're not going to get it because I'm accountable to ordinary people. That doesn't mean I'm not open to meeting them, but Jeff Bezos doesn't own me. So if he wants to have a meeting with me and community members or send his executives instead of me himself and meet with me and community members, I'm happy to do that. I've also invited him to publicly debate me. He's welcome to do that anytime. I do think that it would be naive on our part to hold our breath for that to happen because uh, that's not how things work. I mean, that's, that's not how it works in this system. They know that I am not on their side. They know that I don't mince words, and I, they know that I'm not uh, for sale. You know, I've been on the council for six years. They've tried everything. They've tried threats. They've tried, you know, bullying. They've, they've tried cajoling. You know, the thing is, it's, as, I, as you said yourself, it is not personal. This is about fighting for ordinary people. As Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez said, it's not a purity test. It's giving a damn about ordinary people who are suffering. Okay. I know you're not for sale, but um, I would pay to see that debate. Representing District 3 on the Seattle City Council, Shama Sawan. Councilmember Sawan, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dave. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's morning news, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's morning news. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.